this morning then, when we turn to Mark's Gospel, to that chapter, we read chapter 4, and we'll choose a text there, verse 41. Mark chapter 4 and verse 41 for our text, which reads, And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And seeking the Lord's blessing, we would like to meditate upon these words in context, and we hope to enlarge upon the text as we find it. We particularly want to notice the question that the disciples posed. What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And the title I'd like to give to our meditation tonight is really derived from the question, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now those of you who have been here longer will know that we have dwelt upon this incident on other occasions. We know that in the Gospel records there were two accounts of Jesus calming storms. This is the first one. He was with them when a storm came upon them, and they feared for their lives. And having looked at this on other occasions, we drew one or two points that would encourage us to be reminded that Jesus Christ is always with his people. There was another storm that's recorded in John's Gospel, uh, along with the other Gospels, but it features the time when Jesus wasn't with them, and he walked on water when they encountered another storm. And as I said, we've looked at these things before, and we have, I trust, been edified as we've drawn a number of examples of how Jesus cares for his people, and he never leaves them and forsakes them. And indeed, that what we find in these incidents is that Jesus is seeking to extend or improve their faith. They do have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but by these incidents, their faith is strengthened and it grows. And this is always the way with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has uh, an agenda with trials and difficulties that come upon us. He wants to increase our faith. In some sense, it's good to have faith. And Christ, if we like, we could say as in a human sense, is glad that we have faith. But he always wants to increase that faith so that we live a life of faith more and more as we make our way towards eternity. I don't want to look so much at the incident because we have covered it before, but I really want to look at this question, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We want to ask ourselves this morning, who is Jesus? Who is he? Many people acknowledge Jesus. And when we say many people, we talk about 
Many other religions will acknowledge Jesus, and people will acknowledge him in some sense. It would be a, a crazy individual, and I use that respectively, it would be a crazy individual who would deny the existence of a historical Jesus. You know, if people say, oh, there is no such thing, no such person as Jesus. Well, that is absolute, utter nonsense. Of course there was a person called Jesus, an historical person who walked upon this earth, and he left his influence upon this earth like no other individual has, has done or can do or will do. And some religions will acknowledge him. Islam, for instance, will call him a prophet. But Muhammad is a greater prophet. And Islam will acknowledge, for instance, that, or will not acknowledge, I should say, they will not acknowledge that Jesus was crucified. They will tell us it was someone else, Judas, that was crucified, not Jesus. They will say that Jesus was taken back into heaven, but he didn't die. He wasn't on a cross, and he wasn't one who came back to life at the resurrection. The cults will acknowledge Jesus. They will give him some recognition. It would be fair to say that the Jehovah Witnesses and other cults will say that Jesus was a man who became a god. Now, we might not think, well, that's quite good, that that's, sounds familiar. That's a heretic. That is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus, as the Son of God, became the Son of Man, so that he is the God-man. And therefore, we want to look at this text, and we want to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? And as time will permit, I want to bring one or two th things to your attention concerning this person, because the Bible reveals much about Jesus. And it would not be wrong to say, friends, that the Old Testament reveals Jesus, and the New Testament reveals Jesus. And it would not be wrong for us to to have it in our armory, to acknowledge that the whole of the Bible is really about the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And if we would grasp this and lay hold upon this, it would help us to have a, a greater understanding, and we trust a greater love towards the Savior, and that we might trust Him more and more. The question we're going to ask is, who is Jesus? Well, this is something that Jesus himself asked his own disciples. You might remember what happened in, in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked a very similar question to his own disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, for, for instance, at verse 13, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, 
the Son of Man am. He's asking his disciples. They have been following him. What do people say about me? How do people describe me? What do people think about me? And they answer, well, you're one of the prophets or whatever. And Jesus then turns to them and asks them a direct question. But whom say ye that I am? And Peter gave that great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed that the Father had revealed this to Peter. Now Jesus asked the same question to the Pharisees. Towards the end of his ministry, we, we looked at it and look, when we looked at Luke's gospel. What think ye of Christ? He says to the Pharisees, whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. And they were right. Christ was the son of David, according to the flesh. But he was much more than that. Well then, as time would per will permit, we shall look at this question and we shall go to the Bible in order that we might have God's word speak upon this glorious and this wonderful question. Who is Jesus? First of all, we would notice then that he was sinless. His holiness is something that strikes us in the word of God. Peter tells us, in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Now, we can read these things and we can quote these things, but do we ponder them for a moment? Do we really think about these things? Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Here was a perfect individual. You know, we love our children and we rightly should, and we love many people, and we say people have good hearts and all of that type of thing, but the ultimate reality is there is none good, none whatsoever, but Jesus Christ. He alone is good. He did no sin. Sin was foreign to him. He never sinned in a thought. What are we thinking about at this moment? Where is your mind? I don't know where your mind is. But it may not be on what it should be on. What about your speech? Christ never had to apologize. His actions, absolutely perfect. For all the time that he was upon the earth, no one could accuse him of anything. Nothing whatsoever. Paul says in Corinthians, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus became our sin bearer. Yes, we bless God that the iniquity of his people was poured out upon the Son of God. He became sin, but he never became a sinner. And you must hold on to this Christian because you want a sinless Savior. Because it's only a sinless Savior that can save. It's only a sinless Savior that can go to the cross, that can offer up a perfect sacrifice. For he hath made him 
to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the wonderful transaction? Do you see what happened, friends? In the mind of God, God imputed our sin upon Christ. That's why he cried out on the cross. That's why he sweated great drops of blood, because it was made aware to him what he had to undergo in order to save his people. And he did it willingly. He did it voluntarily. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, to be able to stand before our creator and to be, to, and to be declared righteous. And we could only be declared righteous because he himself was righteous and we have received his righteousness. God has imputed his righteousness to the account of the Christian. Oh, Christian, where are the hallelujahs? Where is the joy in this? You who deserve nothing but God's wrath and curse, yet in the sight of God you are clothed in the divine imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, who was without sin. The whole world is a captive of sin, but not Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. That's your Savior. That's the Son of God. Who is Jesus? He is holy. He is pure. Which of you convinces me of sin? He said to his enemies. Oh, they, couldn't, they tried to lay many charges upon him, but who could convince him of sin? There was no sin upon him. The demons knew this. On one occasion, when he encountered a demon in a person, what did, the, what did the demon say? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. Pilate, that person who knew that Jesus was innocent, yet he followed the crowd. He went against his own conscience when he condemned the Lord Jesus. Pilate says, I have found no fault in this man. No fault. Herod was exactly the same. Innocent before these rulers. Judas, the one who betrayed him afterwards, what did he say? I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. All testifying that he was sinless. And the centurion, the Roman centurion, a hardened soldier, when he saw and heard all that went on at the crucifixion, what did he say? Truly this was the Son of God. Well, God alone is holy. God alone is sinful. Christ was sinless. Who is Jesus? Secondly, we would notice his eternal existence. This is something that should stagger us. 
We cannot comprehend this. But the Bible makes it clear to us that our faith and our hope are upon the Son of God. Now the Son of God had no beginning. The man Christ Jesus had a beginning. He had a birth, he had a conception. But the Son of God who became the Son of Man had no beginning. And what the Bible would teach us is that at a time the Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of God, became a man. John says in the opening of his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These words should be written upon gold. They are precious to the Christian. In the beginning, in the beginning, what beginning? In the beginning of the world, in the beginning of creation, was the Word, the Logos, the Son of God, was there right at the very beginning because He was there before the beginning. And the Word was with God. The Logos was with God. What a mystery it is. No wonder we can get confused. No wonder this, this would cause us to be filled with adoration and worship. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Can we understand this? We cannot. But it has been revealed to us. His eternal existence. Jesus himself said this when he was arguing with the Jews, and the Jews had a great veneration for Abraham. He was the father of their race, and they loved Abraham. And what did Jesus say concerning Abraham? I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now that might not mean much to us here in the 21st century in Scotland, but for someone to say that, he was declaring himself to be God. Before Abraham was, I am. Is that not what was said to Moses at the burning bush when he asked for the name of who was speaking to him? I am. That was the name that was given. And these Jews who heard this would immediately think, what's going on here? This person here is claiming to be God. In the book of Isaiah, when it talks about the coming of the Messiah, one of the things it says is, he will be an everlasting father. Christ was the Messiah. He is the everlasting father, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, it tells us in Micah's prophecy. This is all referring to the Messiah of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now, God alone is eternal. God alone. There's no doubt about it. 
Yet, here we find in the Word of God of the eternal existence of the Son of God. Who is Jesus? Thirdly, we would notice he is the source of all life. This is what he says about himself in the Scriptures. He is the one who gives life. In John, again, we've quoted the chapter, but this time from chapter 1, verse 4, what do we find there? In him was life, and the life was the light of man. You know, any life that any one of us has comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, comes from the Son of God. Insect life, plant life, animal life, fowl life, fish life, natural life, spiritual life, it all comes from the Son of God. He is the source of life. And if we're going to be brought to heaven, and if we're going to know spiritual life and eternal life in its fullness, it will be through the Son of God. It will be through the Lord Jesus Christ. Does he not say to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And the life? No man cometh to the Father but by me. You remember what he said to those who were mourning over the death of Lazarus? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? What words he said to these ladies. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the great source of life. And friends, if we are going to be in heaven, he must give us that heavenly life. He must give us spiritual life. We must have eternal life through him. And if you want to be saved, you must go to him and to him alone. He is the source of life. And therefore, God alone is the source of life. He is the great life giver. Another thought that we would bring to our attention concerning who is Jesus, we might notice fourthly, his unchangeable nature. God alone is unchangeable. God said to those people in the days of Micah, or Malachi, I should say, in the days of Malachi, when many of the people, many of the covenant people were breaking their covenants, and he was saying in the word through the prophet, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And what he was contrasting was the fact that God does not change. He's a great covenant-keeping God. And in the days of Malachi, many of the covenant people were breaking their covenants. They were breaking their covenants with their wives. They were breaking the covenant they had with God. But God would not break his covenant. Why? Because he does not change. That's why. And it's the same for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews chapter 13 tells us in verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. We know it. We quote it. But do we appreciate it? Has it sunk into us? Does it change our lives? Does it feed our souls? Jesus Christ the same yesterday. He's the same as what he was on the cross. What did he do on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Jesus Christ is the same. He forgives sinners even today. He's not changed. Today and forever, he will always be like this. What a wonderful encouragement. Oh, that we might get up and that we might call upon him. He is able to save. He's willing to save. He's not changed. Although he's glorified, although he's exalted, although he sits at God's right hand, he is still exactly the same. He is still, as we noticed when we went through Luke's gospel, he is still the friend of sinners. His nature does not change. In the opening chapter of Hebrews, in chapter 1, the writer seeks to exalt Christ as he does throughout the whole of the book. And in chapter 1 particularly, he draws a contrast between the angels and Christ. Now the Jews venerated the angels, but Paul the writer was telling them, in Jesus Christ you have someone who is greater than the angels. And in verses 11 and 12, he's talking about the creation. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Do you see there again what the Holy Spirit is bringing to the attention of the Hebrews through Paul, the writer, that Jesus Christ does not change? Again, this is an attribute of God. God alone is unchanging. All of us change. We hope, if we're Christians, we hope that we are changing. We're becoming more like Christ. That's called sanctification. We trust that's what's going on in our lives. We are being transformed. We are being changed. If you're an unbeliever, you are changing. In what sense are you changing? Well, if you're an unbeliever, you're changing in the sense that sin is hardening your heart. Every day it's getting harder and harder. Every day your conscience is not working as it should. It's becoming harder and harder. It's not affected by your, by your behavior, by sin. Sin has a hardening effect. We all change. 
Jesus does not change. God alone is unchanging. Well, finally, there's much more to say, but our time is gone. Jesus, who is he? Well, he's one who has infinite power. We saw it here on the, uh, as we read this miracle that he performed. He was sleeping. A great storm rose up. He speaks. He gets up. He speaks. Peace. Be still. That's all he's got to say. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Two miracles, really. Yes, two miracles here. The wind ceased. That's one. And there was a great calm. Immediately afterwards, a great calm. Normally, once the wind goes away, the, the sea would still be tossing and turning. But no, Jesus speaks, the wind stops, and there's a great calm immediately. Infinite power over the elements. We spoke about Matthew, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6. We spoke about there the prophecy concerning the Messiah. And one of his attributes would be that he would be called Mighty God. And he has displayed his might. He has displayed his power. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's what he said to his disciples before he left them. All power has been given unto Christ. He has infinite power. God alone has infinite power. God alone is omnipotent. Surely, friends, then with this scant look at this question, who is Jesus? Surely we have come to the conclusion that he is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. He is perfect God and perfect man. And we have to say, he is the perfect Savior. He is the one that we need. He alone can save. He alone can give life. He alone can take us to heaven. He alone can forgive our sins. He alone can reconcile us to God because he is the God-man. Who is Jesus then? We have just touched the surface. But having touched the surface, it should cause us to come to him and to believe upon him and to trust upon him, who is God in the flesh. Amen.